welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I've got a very exciting guest for you tonight, Steve Day. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much for having me, Jane. Absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah. Now, Steve and I have known each other for a number of years, and I've been so excited to see his progress and particularly this very exciting business that he has at the moment, which is based around one of my favorite topics, because it's really the source of scale, which is systems and outsourcing. So we're really going to be getting into that. But Steve, let's just talk about you before we do. What's your background? Why are you so passionate about systems and outsourcing? And also, you're a doctor, aren't you? So how did you make that journey from being a doctor to being a systems and outsourcing specialist? Okay, I'll try and squeeze my life history into two minutes so I have got a degree in computing that was my first ever degree that was back in 2000 and then property in property property development for eight years I then became a doctor and in the meantime I had a few businesses which unfortunately didn't go so well I was a doctor for eight years and then we decided to move to Sweden with my wife who's Swedish and to bring up our family here and in doing that my businesses based in the UK suddenly were a bit of a problem because they were over there and I was over here. And so it really made me think very differently about the way I worked, about my role in my company, about what it means to be a business person. And also sort of shortly after we moved here, unfortunately, my father passed away suddenly and he was sort of my anchor man in the UK looking after my businesses. So not only was I away from the business, I didn't really have anyone on the ground at all. So it totally made me change the way I thought about work. And for years, I was a control freak, micromanager, really failing to let go, never getting anybody to help me do anything, thinking I, I always knew best. It was cheaper, quicker, simpler to do it myself. And so this transition from being this typical one-man band like so many of us are to now like to trying to outsource everything I possibly can to virtual assistants, to agencies, to teams, to letting lessons managers whatever it is and figuring out how to do that really smoothly and, and effectively is a huge huge mindset shift for me and one that a lot of business owners need to go on in, in order to be in a position to scale or live remotely and have the laptop lifestyle and so yeah that was the catalyst for me moving here my dad passing away and then me figuring out i didn't want to um, spend my life traveling back to the uk away from my family and in the mix of that i decided i didn't want to be a doctor because it was taking me away from I'm doing the things that I really love to do in life. And my passion has always been in business, funnily enough. The doctoring bit was sort of a, a glitch as far as I'm concerned, because it sort of came in after I had a couple of failed businesses and nearly went bankrupt <laughs> and then felt a bit lost in the world. And my parents were both GPs, so they said, oh, go and try to be, be a doctor. So I did that for eight years and then ended up, as I said, not to repeat myself, uh, living in Sweden, living remotely, working with teams all over the world. My remote team is now based in the Philippines. And I also have a PA in the UK and then letting agencies and marketing people. I've got a guy in Finland, for example, that does my marketing and uh, various other people. So, yeah. yeah. So funnily enough, you mentioned that those magic words, laptop lifestyle, right? So 
I have conversations with people and they don't even believe that this exists. And I say, well, actually, I know people that do have the laptop lifestyle and it is a reality. But what does it take in order to get that is the question, because people genuinely believe that I think that people make this up and that it is not possible to do that and to run a business. So let's talk about what does it actually take to have a laptop lifestyle? And of course, a laptop lifestyle just means location freedom, right? Doesn't it? It does. It takes, depending on the type of business you have, it takes more or less of a challenge to accomplish it. But it's definitely possible in, I would say, pretty much most businesses where you're not physically the person doing the work and you want to continue doing the physical work yourself locally. So if you're a hairdresser and you want to actually cut people's hair, then well, you can still take a laptop. You wouldn't have a salon, for example. You'd just travel the world and cut people's hair. So you could do it still. But the, the point is, that is all about your role in your company. So even if you have a brick and mortar company, even if you have a company where you were the artisan or whatever, you've got to make a choice. Are you in it for the business or are you in it for the passion and the love of the thing? And if you read a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it as a high-level book for how to systemize your business. Really good intro, intro book into the world of the concepts and the mindset of systemization. And that's all about just understanding that a business owner isn't actually the person who does the work, shouldn't be. Because you can't grow a business if you're the one doing it because you are only you. And so even if you've got that type of, you're a plumber, you're a plaster, whatever, then if you replace yourself with other people doing the work, then there's no reason why even those circumstances can't. So a long-winded intro into how you create a laptop lifestyle. Property is one of these things as well. People think that that's a, not a reality. And I used to run all my own properties, every, every aspect of property management I've done for many years. And so I worked myself into, I was working myself, I should say, into an early grave, totally overwhelmed, doing lettings, everything, doing cleaning at one point, doing all the decorating, all the maintenance, while I was training as a doctor, traveling back from Derby to Manchester. And so, you know, I've, I've burnt the candle at both ends for years doing all that stuff, just believing that I couldn't trust anybody else to find the right tenants. You know, I get, you know, I had one instance when I actually let someone else find my tenants and didn't go so well, and it totally tarnished my opinion of using other people to, source tenants and, and look after them and and so it took me as i said before to be forced to think differently to make that change because i had the decision i either sell up and after spending the best part of 15 years building a portfolio you know after with the way you know leveraging in the market at the time and etc i wouldn't have actually got much out of it it would have just been such a waste and um, you know the portfolio i've got is a lifelong investment and it will continue to to serve me well into many many years to come i sold it I'm back to almost square one, maybe with a bit of cash in the pocket for a short time. And so I was determined not to. So then I put all my efforts into finding good people. And that wasn't about me hiring my own property manager in-house, because that itself is a huge, huge task. And I've only got seven properties. It just doesn't make any sense. A lot of clients come to me about properties. I'm a bit of a tangent, but a lot of listeners probably have property and they're probably managing a lot of it themselves. And a lot of clients come to me and say, oh, I want you to help me systemize my property management. And the first thing I ask them is how big do you want to get? And unless, unless they have a desire to have over half a million in income within the next year or two maximum, uh, maximum sort of time frame, I'd say use letting agents. Unless you're going to go to 100 properties, use letting agents. Because when you do the math and you realize the hassle and the amount of legislation you've got to keep on top of and the amount of 
hassle that happens when your property manager just doesn't turn up to work one day and says, oh, sorry, not coming back. And suddenly it's all back on you just when you're about to go on holiday with your family. It's just not worth it. And so with a small amount of money, the 10, 12% you pay to a letting agent, it frees you up. And okay, there's still management of the letting agent. And that's what I have a PA to do. So I systemized the management of my letting agents and spent two years finding a good letting agent. And that transformed my life. It allowed me to have a truly lifestyle. So I literally log into my um, emails once a week to check my property emails and do about 15 minutes of work on average. Some weeks I just forget and don't bother. Then unless my PA pings me a message saying, you need to check your emails. And, and so I don't need, because I don't need to, because I know my PA will let me know if there's anything important. I do it once a week and 15 minutes, once a week, done. That's my property portfolio taken care of. And that leaves me free to then start another business, which I've chosen to build a business online, helping people to systemize their businesses. So yeah, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think the interesting thing about your story, Steve, is that you've really come through this with from the hard experience of having suffered the pain of not systemizing and that overwhelm and that burnout that is so common amongst entrepreneurs. And I think you also reference something that is certainly very familiar to me and to a lot of other people that I know, which is that as entrepreneurs, as business founders, we do struggle to let go sometimes and actually let other people take the reins because it's hard to trust, isn't it? It is. But if we don't get out of our own way, then we're always going to be stuck in this place. I've actually coined a name for it and I call it the harder hustle loop because that's what it is really, isn't it? Because you're going round and round and round on this kind of treadmill, like this hamster wheel, and you're not really making much progress, are you? No, I think, you know, thinking back, I spent almost 15 years on that hamster wheel. Even then, though, I actually am quite, I've always been quite a systems orientated person. Because I did a degree in computing, I actually really like flowcharts and process mapping, something I get quite excited about. I could lose hours designing and making flowcharts and process maps look pretty. And I love technology, I love apps. I created my own property management system, all my own, before any software existed, like Arthur and all these like, clever things, systems are out there now. So I actually designed my own and actually got an, a, an app building company to start actually building out a piece of software for me to do property management and everything. So I've, I've been there, I've, I've done it all. But all of that still was for me to manage my properties, to make my life easier. And it was only when I was forced to, as I say, think about, well, who's going to do this stuff now I'm not on the ground? And I started learning about hiring remotely. So I had the first PA I hired was from the UK. And then I went a bit further afield to an agency in the India. And then finally took the plunge and actually had my own staff from the Philippines so it was a progression and I understand that, you know, when you're doing it yourself, like I was and just reading books and figuring it out and doing your course here and there, it can be a bit scary to start off with. So I took it stepwise, baby steps. And, but in doing so, I was able to then trust people more because I didn't just delegate everything in one go. And so the trust element that you mentioned then that the letting go was something that I had to build up systems to allow me to delegate effectively so that I could trust the results of the people that they were going to produce for me. Because it's my name on, on the door at the end of the day, or, you know, so to speak. So if something goes wrong, it's our, well, it's our names, I should say, as a business owners. If something goes wrong, if someone does something wrong, if someone, you know, we were talking about before about outsourcing um, LinkedIn, that can be really challenging, LinkedIn, social media in general. And 
if someone if someone posts something that's against your what you would say normally, you know, it actually makes you look to be something you're not or something. I mean, that can be devastating to you as a personal brand. And so, you know, how do I avoid that? And that's the fears that people have. I mean, the reality is actually often very, very different from that. And even if it's not done perfectly, it's very rarely done badly or in a way that actually has any negative effect. But getting to that point of trusting that and believing that is quite a big step for most people, especially if you just spent years building up this, you know, you nurtured this baby of yours, your business baby. And, you know, you've nurtured it, you've brought it up. It's sort of in, in adolescence now, you're just about to let it bloom. And they think, okay, now I'm going to trust somebody else to look after my kid, my business baby. And that is a huge mental step for a lot of people. So I work a lot with people about that, about trusting how to build trust or build systems of trust into your business. So how to start relationships off well, so they develop trust with someone really quickly, how to talk to them in such a way that you are developing a rapport, how to give feedback so you don't break down trust and you actually build trust and build respect for each other by giving meaningful, constructive feedback with a goal of changing future behavior, not chastising or berating someone for past behavior. So all these sorts of soft skills are absolutely essential and it's not stuff that we learn as business owners and arguably i mean a lot of people come from the corporate world and they come out and i think that they almost like i know with, with being a doctor we learned so much of this stuff as a doctor but i never really applied it to my own business until i sort of stopped and like someone i can't remember if it was someone else or, but it's of a realization happened i think i know how to do this stuff i've been through the training but i'm not doing it in my own business and so i've been bringing all that skills all those soft skills and all the the leadership skills from whatever walks of life you've got, but really think about how do I apply those in the, the context of a small business, not in a big establishment, because it's a different skill set, but you can still use those skills that you developed. And I think that, again, is something that most business owners don't think enough about. And that's why people often struggle to build lasting, trusting, long-term relationships with people, whether it be employees or even harder is when you're working with people remotely because you don't have the opportunity to meet them and sort of face-to-face, -face, so to speak. So things like using video, massively important. You know, and like simple things like you communicating by video all day long, not writing long emails, and then wondering why things get misinterpreted because you're speaking with somebody whose first language, even though they're absolutely fluent in English, their first language isn't English. So they misinterpret you something you say, or they take your criticism rather harshly because you typed it and not said it with a smile on your face. These little skills are what the different what can make the big difference between building trust with somebody. Like once you trust them, then learning to let go little bit by little bit until you can actually see the light of how businesses grow. All businesses go through this. No one's special. No one's business is different from anybody else's. You know, everyone thinks their business is, oh, I couldn't possibly get someone to do that. Oh, it's got to be me. The customers love me. They would leave if it wasn't me. Say that to Bill Gates. Say that to... Elon Musk, say that to any big business owner in the world, and they'll tell you they thought exactly the same thing until they actually transitioned. And I'm not saying that you give up everything on day one. I'm saying this is a, a transition, but you've got to realize that businesses that have business owners or businesses that have grown beyond the business owner at some point had this mental barrier that they had to break through and they managed to, and that's why they're now big businesses. So if you ever want, ever want to grow beyond you at some point, and I'm not saying I'm not going to pretend that. I've learned how to let go of absolutely everything yet. You know, I'm still like struggle to think, how could I get someone to do X, Y, or Z, you know? And, I, and maybe it's because I can't hire in the, I can't afford to hire in the level of person that I need to do that yet. Maybe that's the, 
the barrier for me right now at some of my tasks. But you know, most of what I do, the vast majority, I've now learned that there is a way to get someone to do it. It's just about a process and having a system behind that. Yeah, I love that process and system. And the, uh, my brain was just firing off in all sorts of different directions when you were speaking, because there were so many things that really resonated with me. And I was just remembering when I was running my design of a brand identity agency, and this thing that everybody had with the naming of media agencies in back in the day when I was in that job and they all thought it was a great idea to put their surname into the name name of the business so they would all be called you know I don't know all these ad agencies Whedon and Kennedy so the names of those founders and of course what happened is when the clients came to the company they would get mortally insulted if they, well, look, you know, they've got, it's their name above the door. They're, I'm an important client. They're the people that I want. And it's funny when you look back and you think, how long did it take agencies to actually wise up to the fact that they were really just putting a millstone around their neck to call themselves by their own names? It's funny, isn't it? And it's just strange that even it's even reflected in this kind of naming strategy. But I think we haven't actually been brought up with this whole thing of remote working, have we? And I think that's part of the problem that everybody has been so at sea with it because, you know, we were brought up to think we were going to be working in real locations with real people and there wasn't really the opportunity. You know, they are still real, Jane. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are real. They are real. I know. I real in inverted commas. <laughs> But I mean, I work with my team remotely and it's very, been very interesting to me to see the challenges that come up because one of the things that happened for me recently was my Jonathan, who works with me on the marketing. I realized that he wasn't actually, of course, hearing any of the conversations that I was having with my clients and he wasn't hearing any of the sales conversations. And in a way, he was kind of operating in a bit of a vacuum. He was missing a big piece because he wasn't hearing me in action, really. He was missing all of that. And there were times when he was getting a little bit demotivated and a bit lonely. And hi, Jonathan, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind me talking to, about you know you in this way. But it's just a symptom of that distance. And I realized that you know, I really needed to be working harder to actually bring him into those conversations or to talk to him about those conversations. And it just hadn't kind of entered my head to give him a more holistic perspective, really, on my business. So what you're saying makes so much sense is really how you manage people is just the demands, the further away they are, the greater the demand, really. Isn't that right? Then the greater the rewards as well. Totally. I mean, whether it's somebody who's three doors down the road or on the other side of the world these days it doesn't really make any difference I mean, the only difference is that it's harder to pop around for a cup of coffee but actually you know from a working perspective especially since covid everyone's now used to this and you know before you know, i've been going we started in 2007 the beginning of 2017 so actually way before covid kicked in and so one of the challenges that we used to have to overcome with people was this belief that is it possible to actually have a working relationship with someone you never met and a lot of those barriers have, have been dropped now not, not entirely with everybody but huge amounts of the population now enjoy working remotely my wife for example absolutely loves it she doesn't she doesn't have to go and stuff she's an auditor and, and she used to work um, silly hours 
but she spent an hour traveling there, an hour traveling back. She's quite introverted, so she's not really a people person anyway. She'd much rather sit in her room and get her work done and go for a walk and do her phone calls, you know, on the phone while she's walking around the forests. And so with that sort of a mentality of they see the benefits of remote working and think, oh, actually, it is possible. We're going back to the laptop lifestyle. It's just one step away from that. If employees are now used to working remotely and whether you start thinking about your own business now or you know, you're an employee and you work in a business, then this idea of having remote staff, once that's possible, then you think, OK, well, that's, that's a huge step in the right direction to having the ability to take my business online. To, to be able to work from anywhere. So, yeah, I just think that this, you know, looking for a cloud, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. I think one for the world of business in general is that what COVID has forced us to do is to really advance technology and also advance mindset about what it means to be in a workforce, whether that's as a business owner or as an employee. And I think that ultimately, I think that will be good for the, for the world, but, you know, for the population as a whole for health reasons, mental health reasons, and for the fact that the global workforce is now accelerated. So we can leverage the fact that in other parts of the world, the cost of living means that you can pay someone a really good wage um, who's got you know education, they've got degrees, they've got you know, marketing masters or whatever it is that you need. And when you're just a fledgling business starting out and you couldn't possibly afford to hire someone with that level of expertise from the UK or where I'm in Sweden, or if you lived in Switzerland, it'd be even worse. You know, you couldn't possibly afford that level of a person. And actually now we can actually really get our feet off the ground by finding people who are desperate for work in some of the poorest countries of the world, but who are highly educated, who are highly talented and hugely motivated to do a good job. And we can then build our businesses up. And then if you want to then put that back into the local community and hire locally, when you get to a certain stage, you're thinking, okay, I need to then hire a team, then great. And that, you know, have that as part of your company you know, plan and your structure and your, your vision for your future. But actually, I think what most business owners is find if you look at the, the businesses that grow, is that because the reason I'm going into this a little bit is because sometimes people worry about, oh, is it morally right to hire someone from the Philippines when there's job problems in the UK? But I think, think you've got to look at nine out of 10 businesses fail, 75% of businesses are one man bands they can't afford to hire staff so you've got to look at the statistics of if you don't get help you're going to fail and therefore no one's going to get a job if you're successful then you've got the choice and it's a bit you know so, so you've got to get success first before you can start being generous with you know wage or not generous is probably the wrong word but choosing where and i will have the ability to choose where you hire from yeah and so what i was saying though just leading on from that is interesting when you look at the bigger companies because what they don't do is hire locally they hire from the world and look for the best talent. They're now looking at the best talent that they're going to pay the most for, probably. So it's probably going to be based in somewhere like, you know, America or England or whatever. But it's a worldwide job market at both ends of the scale. And I think that people miss that because you're because you're hiring from somewhere which is less affluent. Then some reason that there's a guilt involved in that. It'd be okay to hire somewhere that was more affluent from somewhere more affluent, even though it's not local. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think you're so right about this guilt thing. I think people do get very much sort of tied up in, is this right? Should I be hiring? You know, should I be supporting our own country yeah. and our own economy? Should I? Is it right for me to be paying people in the Philippines, you know, $5 an hour or $3 an hour or whatever it is? And as you said, well, I mean, you just made a very, a very good case. 
for why that's okay. And really, as you said, nobody wants to go bust. Nobody wants to lose their businesses and have all of that pain and have their families suffer that pain. And anything that they can do to avoid that is a good has to be a good thing, right? Yeah, I think so. And I'm, but don't get me wrong, I'm in no way against hiring people from the UK. I mean, I, my PA is based in the UK because I wanted a UK-based PA. So there is a the right person for each role. But I wouldn't have wanted someone, you know, I wanted, yeah, for that particular role, I wanted someone in the UK for, for various reasons. And I think that, I know I've got lots of our clients who have a mix of UK-based staff and then they have some admin support in the Philippines, which allows them to have a bit more capital to be able to grow. And I think there's a really good model there that you could have both. It doesn't need to be exclusively either. And I think it's a really that hybrid sort of idea of a lot of my clients actually use, start out thinking, oh, I'll hire someone from the Philippines because I'll get them to do my admin, my, my low-level value tasks. And after what they've, what some of them have found, one person in particular, is that the person they hired in the Philippines is more capable than most of their UK-based staff. And they're now, like, now juggling with this dilemma of how do they then bring that person on board as a sort of a, like a, a real full-time in part of the company? And do they pay them an English wage? Do they, all these sorts of interesting dilemmas. So, um, or do they bring them over to the UK is another thing. So I've got one of, the, one of my other clients, he's um, construction and one of his team based in the Philippines as well. And he has uh, aspirations to move, to move to the UK. And my client has said, look, I think you're brilliant. I want you in the company. Come over. I'll pay you an English wage, and you can live here and pay your taxes in England. And so everyone's happy here, you know. And you know the government's happy here and everything. And so I think there's, there's so many interesting stories around it that you don't really realise. It's not just a bit of admin work here and there and a few bits of graphic design. It's like these are people, and there's a range of people all over the world with the different skill sets and different abilities and different desires and different dreams and ambitions. And and if you tap into that worldwide global workforce in any whatever context that means for you at the time you are in business then you're dipping into a pool that's that's almost an infinite number so you can find brilliant people who just love doing the stuff you need them to do rather than having to think locally for example on the other end of the, the, the other scale if you've got an office a physical office you're limiting yourself you know okay if you lived in london you've got quite a big pool but Say if you lived in a, in a town, in a suburb, and you're limiting yourself to, say, a quarter of a million people as a potential job market, open yourself up to the world, and it, and it turns into millions and millions and millions, and therefore you can cast your net wide. If you've got a good recruitment system, you can cast net as wide as you want and then find the golden nuggets hidden amongst all the, the rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's get into this kind of like nitty-gritty of like creating systems and actually how to manage the performance of a remote team Steve because I know that you've you know you've really cracked this so what are your top tips for doing that yeah it's a really good question a really interesting question to talk about because as we've mentioned before there are challenges of working with people remotely because it's not in the traditional sense we haven't in this country we've not grown up with it like you said before so we have to think differently about the way we work. You can't manage somebody who's on the other side of the world in the same way you would manage somebody in the UK and I think or locally. And so the idea of, for example, popping into someone's office and having a chat or speaking to somebody or, you know, just, you know, you can see them on the other side of the office. So you can sort of see, are they messing around and playing on their iPhone or are they actually doing some work? And um, all these 
fears and started coming in and and like meeting people at the like they talk about one of the problems of covid was that this the water fountain chit chat you know that all stopped the people stopped socializing within their own offices and they stopped like actually building relationships and so a lot of companies started doing like coffee mornings like remote coffee mornings everyone would grab a grab a cappuccino or whatever and go and sit around for 10 minutes before work starts on a friday morning and sort of trying to keep that together the companies that have tried to overcome the challenges of working remotely in our country and during covid have also given them other good ideas to this whole work remote working way so thinking about that sort of stuff is very, very important but going back to your sort of question specifically about sort of managing how you actually so the, the the nuts and bolts of it and so probably the two biggest game changers when you're working it doesn't matter if someone's remote or in the other side of the world or they're in the other office i would still do these same two things one is to start using a task management app so something like asana is the one that we use in our company it's the one that we lots of companies use but it doesn't really matter what you're using to be honest using trello clickup monday.com it doesn't really matter but the point is that delegating your work by using a task manager and i go into detail on this on my podcast i've got an episode on this so it's about 20 minutes just talking about this on one subject. So you can find me on there if you want to find out more in detail, but I'll do your summary now. But so giving, so delegating somebody a task on a task board, as we call them. So imagine just a board, like a whiteboard, and you put some columns on it. And just in the simplest sense, pending, doing, done. That's it. You can make it more complicated than I do, but you know, you don't need to. And what that allows you to do as the manager is that a snapshot by just glancing at their digital online board in, the, in your task management app. You can see what's in their queue to happen next, what they're actually working on right now and what they finished and are waiting for you to review. Now, you can't get that if you start trying to delegate work out through email or messenger or whatever. And it gets even worse when you start having problems with the tasks that you delegated, which there inevitably will be in the beginning and also you know, as you go through. So you send over a task to somebody and they ping you back a question and say, oh, yeah, thanks for the task. I'll get on with it. Oh, just had one question about that. Great, you reply back. Oh, by the way, I've got three more tasks for you to do. Can you just do number four before you do number two? And number one, prioritize that, but after number four? And then they come back and say, yeah, that's fine, but I don't really understand number two. And number one's now conflicting with number four. Can you just give me some clarification? I'll just get Bob to help you out. Here, Bob, I forwarded you six emails regarding this thread. This is the reality of what it used to be like before I started using task management apps. And you'd be pinging these messages. It's a total mess. And you're like, who the hell sent that message? Who said what, when, how, you know, in the threads all over the place, you've got half of it on text messaging, half of it on WhatsApp, a little bit on Facebook messenger, and then a couple of emails. Impossible to manage. So that's the scenario of what my business used to look like. And then I learned about task management apps. And as I said, the one I use is Asana. And before this, I actually started with Trello, but moved to Asana. And, and it just totally like revolutionized my world. And really simply, you've got that, have you got picture that task board I mentioned in my head? So Pending, doing, done. And uh, so it's at a glance, you can see what they're doing right now. If you've got a problem with one of the tasks you delegated, you comment on the task. And therefore, you can have a whole conversation. You can bring in other people. They can see the thread. It's all nicely compartmentalized onto the task, which you are actually talking about. There's no crosswires. There's no mixed messages. There's no, uh, you have to be a bit vigilant and say, look, all conversations about the task go on the task. So if someone pings you a message in Messenger and said, oh, I've just got a question about task number three. It's this. You say, ask me in Asana. And if you're diligent about that, 
that your life becomes so much easier. So that's that one little real take. So anyway, so task managers, number one tip of anything you can do to improve your business in general, but working remotely 100%. And there's about 10 different advantages of using task managers. So that's the, the communication, delegation, visibility, and just feeling in control are probably the top four. So next biggest tip is to use more video. And again, COVID has actually opened the world of using video to record yourself, your screen to people which had no idea this stuff existed before. Yeah, I remember when, I, when it first started out, I've been using Zoom for about two and a half years and I shot this really sort of poor video. It was just like, oh, I just do it. I was a bit bored. It's like, how to use Zoom like a pro and posted it on my completely unsuccessful YouTube channel at the time. It's still not particularly And it, I can't remember, oh, I was on Facebook, I can't remember now. It got like over a thousand views. This one video, so like Zoom, like the Zoom, the Zoom like frenzy went bonkers. And so, you know, people started using Zoom as well. But it's more than just that. It's more than just video communication. I mean, this is essential. Like we're having this chat now. You're in the UK. I'm in Sweden. You wouldn't have any idea. It doesn't matter what you're listening to or watching this in the future. You can see our faces. We can build rapport. You know, it's huge amounts of like, I don't know exact figures, but about 87% is it of, of communication is visual. And so, you know, well, maybe visual and tonal, I can't remember, but anyway, the words you say are pretty irrelevant. It's how you say and what you say, what your face looks like when you're saying them and what your hands are doing at the time. And so by using video and communication when we're having meetings, we're adding in just depth into our conversation that is lost, totally lost in email, totally lost in text, even worse in text messaging because you're cutting your words short and using slang and, you know, your thumbs are getting tired. So you, you tail off at the end and don't finish your sentences. So all of that stuff is gone when you use video because you're now talking like a real person. So one-to-one -one communication like this, or one-to-many communication using video is essential, but more than that, putting your camera on, recording your screen and showing someone, this is what I want you to do. And that is the absolute golden nugget of, you know, sophisticated systems around doing this very eloquently, but at the absolute heart of how we teach people to systemize their business is the use of video. And that is to so I'll just give you a sort of backtrack two steps into the process because I'll put this in context and make it more meaningful. So we're talking about systemizing your business. And actually what that means is, what am I going to get someone else to do for me? That's really what we're talking about here. How am I going to get someone else to do it is the system. What am I going to get is the most important first place to start. So knowing what to outsource first is the first step in this, this journey to getting to where I'm going to answer your question. And so deciding what's outsourced first, really, really simply. Don't start outsourcing anything you're not already doing. That'll come. There's time for that. Once you've freed up your headspace, freed up your time, and then you've got time, all the time in the world to think about what else you can do. So all your LinkedIn marketing, your social media stuff, your building stuff on Canva, whatever you want to do, building your website, all that stuff you wish you were doing, you wish you had time to do. The reason you haven't got time to do it is because you're doing too much yourself. And once you've freed up your time, you then have the time to think about how I'm going to get someone else to do it. And the skills as well. It's a bit like, Karate kid, wax on, wax off. You've got to learn the skills before you can actually do the big work or have that big fight at the end of Karate Kid. And so the way you learn the skills and to get benefit from it on the journey is to pick tasks that you're currently doing that are taking a long amount of time and that aren't particularly complex. And those are the ones you start outsourcing. And there are two reasons for that. One is if you start outsourcing stuff, you don't know how to do it very well. It's going to take you a long time to think about it. You're probably going to get it wrong. They're going to get frustrated when it doesn't come back right. You might not even know what right looks like because you're not very good at it yourself. Whereas conversely, if you outsource something you're good at, even if something you like, 
you know how to do it. You've done it 50 times over. You could do it with your eyes shut. So showing someone else how to do it will be easy. And so the next time you do that task, which you're doing anyway, this is the key, you're doing these tasks anyway. The next time you do that task, you hit record on your screen recording app. The one I recommend is Screencast-O-Matic. Screencast-O-Matic, but you can use Loom or whatever you're using. It doesn't really matter. Um, hit record so you're recording your screen and your voice. And ideally, have a little picture of yourself in the corner because, again, you're building rapport every every opportunity. And you're literally going to do the task as you would anyway, but you're going to talk yourself through it. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why is it important? What do I actually want you to produce at the end of it? Where do you want that to be saved? What access do you require to actually do this task? <laughs> I've got an acronym. I'm just confusing myself because I'm doing it in the wrong order because I'm not using the acronym. <laughs> what access is required to do it? What deliverables do you have? And what checks are what are the common mistakes that are made? How long is this going to actually take you to do? And also, what, what do I need to tell you to be able to do it? So say, I want you to set, I'm going to show you how to set up a Facebook event here. So I'll probably need to tell you the name I need to give you the image. I need to give you the time, the date. So these are all the things, the inputs into the task that you need to give this person in order to do it. So you're recording yourself doing it. You're going through, we have a didact acronym. I should just use my didact acronym rather than just winging it. The didact acronym is basically describe the task, what the inputs, uh, what the deliverables, what the access is required, what checks need to be done, and what how long does it take. So I've got a framework, which I'll happily share with you, Jane, you can share with your audience, which is basically the didact framework, which is how we get people to outsource really efficiently. And so. You're recording your screen, you know this task, you're doing it anyway, it's taking you no longer than it would have done to do it anyway, and now you've got a guide of how you do that, which you then stick into a task on your task management app that you set up for your VA you or your assistant, whoever that is, your, your staff member, you assign it to them, you stick a due date on it, and you're done. That's how you systemize your business, because every time you do that, you're now saving time, saving time, saving time, and save 10 minutes a day, 50 minutes a, a week, add that up over the course of a year and you save yourself a week. Save an hour a day by doing this. Just a few tasks a day, six weeks a year by saving an hour a day when you add up 40-hour weeks. Wow. The, the benefits of this are huge for very small amounts of input. Yeah, and that's a lot of time saving. And considering that time is the most precious asset of all, along with health, because you can't get it back, that's what it's all about really, isn't it? Yeah. It's about saving time and, and making time, really, for the things that matter most. So, yeah, I get it. Now, I just wanted to pick you up on something that you said, Steve, because you said, well, first of all, you've got to know how to do everything before you can actually hand it off. Is that right? Or No, no, no. Sorry. I'm sorry if I gave that impression. No. OK. But the easiest things to outsource first ah. are things you already yeah. know. So when you're trying, that's what's the, the analogy of the karate kid is, is learning to fight and Mr. Miyagi is teaching him to wax a car and to paint a fence, uh, paint a fence because he's teaching him the moves, he's teaching him the skills he needs to then combine together to be the expert karate guy. Same goes with anything you're learning. You've got to learn the skills. So learn them on something you know well. And that's the first thing is because you want something that you don't have to think about because you're thinking about how am I going to outsource this? You don't want to also think about how do I do the thing I'm trying to outsource? It just adds too much complexity and you'll end up getting it wrong. And, and as I say, ending up with frustration. So that's the first, first problem. And the second thing is, if you're not already doing it and you're feeling overwhelmed, if you try to do something you don't know well now, you're just adding to your existing workload, which would make you more overwhelmed. So free your time first, then systemize your business.
Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the things that I've done fairly recently is built out an automated webinar funnel. So I'm not saying when I say I've done it, no, I haven't, because I am not a very techie person. And if I'd done it, it would have taken me a very, very long time to do. So I did the bits that I was good at, which is the copy and making the videos and all the stuff that I find easy. But I actually got somebody else to do all of that for me. So and then he ran into some problems because it was all fine doing part of it. But then we got to this point where it really started to go into some deep tech. And actually, at that point, it needed to go beyond what he was doing. And we needed to get some specialist, basically like a tech person to finish it off and do all the APIs and integrations and sort out all the little glitches and all of that kind of thing. So I think The thing that I learned from doing that is that you have to know what the end result is, don't you, that that you're sort of aiming for. You have to be clear about that. And I think when, in my own experience, when it gets murky and when it gets difficult is when you're not 100% sure what you're kind of aiming for. And so that's when you're giving mixed messages. And that's when, you know, really the communications become strained. Would you say that that's been your experiences as well? Yeah, I would love to sit here and tell you that from the first day (laughs) that I ever started working with staff and and especially remote teams, that it all went perfectly well. And I've never, (laughs) never fell into the traps that you just described, but that would be absolute nonsense. And still do do to this day from time, and that's just the reality of it. And I think that um, you've hit the nail on the head with it, though. If you're very clear on the outcome, and you've got a competent person, they'll probably get there. If you've got a very clear outcome and even an incompetent person, they'll probably still get there. If you've got a very unclear outcome, even even with a competent person, they're never going to get there. Because you don't know where you're going. They can't take you there. And so for me, goal setting or being really clear on the end of a project, and that will be be stages in the project. We've adopted the a loose adoption of the Agile framework for project management, which is in very, very briefly is like, instead of saying, I'm going to design a new computer game, like say a Tomb Raider, it's like, I'm going to deliver level one, and then I'm going to finish level two, and then I'm going to finish level three and, and deliver those to the marketplace as you get there. So you don't have, or like your course, for example, you can create you know, the first sprint in the, the Agile terminology. The first project would be to, just to get it, on the webinar the second project would be to, to write course module one and get that online the second you know you can build it that way and so having that sort of framework really helps us to break down tasks into really achievable goals but goals that i could easily envisage or visualize because they weren't so far away it was a nearer goal so therefore you could actually put it into words and very big very clear about it and because there, there was less unknowns the nearer a goal is the less unknowns there are to get there and so it makes it much easier for you to verbalize that or to, to document it. So whenever starting a new project now, I say whenever, nine times out of 10, and I said, I totally forget like I did the other day when we started off with a new member staff and realized a weekend that we hadn't done what I'm just about to tell you. So I'm not perfect by any means. But when we remember to do this, it's brilliant. And we basically have a, a project vision board. And that vision board describes why we're doing this project. What is the purpose of it at quite a high level? And then talks about things like, what um, who are the stakeholders involved? What's the purpose of the project? What are the, what are the aims of the project? 
why like, why are we doing this what does it solve why does this project why would the result of this project stand out so make really clearly defined and um, the who of the project and then what are the business objectives why are we doing this from a business terms because that's a really good check to have because if you start doing a project and you can't fill in that box you shouldn't be doing the project <laughs> now, why what is the business advantage of this because often we can start as business owners things that sound like a good idea but unless you can put it into terms of how am I going to create either more value to my clients or more profit in my bank? Don't do it, you know, unless you can define those two, one of those two things, I think. And so, yeah, having that project vision board plus this idea of multiple short goals with very short times, a week, two weeks, trying to achieve those goals, that makes it much, much more easier to engage with people. You know, we we're talking about before about outsourcing stuff you know versus stuff you don't know. I'm not saying don't try and outsource anything you don't know ever, but not at all. But there's ways and means to do it. So you don't end up sort of in this scenario we're describing now about not really having very clear goals because you're not really sure what you are doing or what, what you need to be done. But really simply, if you want to design a website, stop getting so too creative, stop being too personal about it. And, you know, if I go back 20 years, I think how many thousands of pounds I've spent on websites that don't exist anymore. Um, over the years and so my tip for designing a website is to spend a couple of hours searching the web going on to most beautiful sites in the world sort of google searches find a website you like the look of get a picture of it or get the url of it use the same sort of structure of it right rewrite the words in your own words and send that to your designer and be done with it you know so don't try and design the hell out of something you can obviously use your own brand colors once they, they can say that is what I'm looking that I want that is what I want you to create, use my brand guidelines if you've got them, and then uh, here's the words I want you to put in each of the boxes on the screen, you know, on each page. That's how you can very quickly design a website and get complete clarity. Because if you go the other way, which I've done in the past, and you sort of have a conversation with the web designer, what sort of site do you want? What feelings do you want? You know, what's your target audience? I'm not saying that's not important, but I don't think for businesses when they've designed the first website, it should be the first things on their mind. You should be thinking about how do I get this done as quickly as possible that doesn't distract me from actually running my business and making money and gets a result that I'm happy with. And copying without copyright copying is the way I would go with pretty much everything now. And yeah, so that goes for any type of thing you're wanting to create. So we're doing quote cards at the moment for Instagram and Facebook for our podcast. So I just said to my virtual assistant, I said, here's a quote card, took a screenshot. So back to your screen recording software, took a screenshot of the quote card on someone else's Instagram page, said, can you design me one of those with my brand guidelines in Canva? And she's not got any graphic design background, but she copied what was there, put my brand on it, obviously changed the logos and stuff. And came back to me and I said, yep, that's brilliant. Let's use that then. So it's just like, it's just simple, straightforward. Don't overthink this stuff. Don't always need graphic designers to do simple stuff. You can just need someone who's half competent that can actually follow, you know, use the common sense and copy someone else. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, certainly with graphic design, there are so many incredible templates on Canva that really just somebody just needs to learn how to use Canva. And Barto, there's video, there's mountains of free sites, of paid sites, of, you know, so you can go down that route. We had a graphic designer in-house for about 18 months. And he designed loads of our stuff for our logos and everything like that. But ultimately, except for logos and, you know, product design, like product logos and things like that, 
for most of the other stuff, I don't like you don't really need templates these days. You just go onto Canva, you just re remake something that somebody's got, or yeah, like you say, you just get templates from yeah, exactly what you just said. Yeah, templates, <laughs> totally. Well, Steve, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you tonight. So I'd love you to share some of your freebies and your giveaways with some of our audience. We talked about that. So first of all, tell them about your podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Jane. So we launched our podcast a couple of months ago now, Systemize Your Success. It's been, um, we did very well. We've been top 10 in three countries we currently in about 28 countries in the world, which I think is amazing. I have no idea how this compares with anyone else, but I'm very impressed. The feedback has been absolutely fantastic. The podcast is all about helping small business owners to leverage apps, technology, virtual assistants, systems to systemize your success, to create a business that you can be proud of, that you can scale, that you can actually create a lifestyle that you want without over getting overwhelmed in the process. So the guests we've had on so far have been everything from small business investing, sorry, so for small business finance, from accounting, for making profit in your business. We've had Wealth Builders guys on, so Christian Rodwell and Kevin Whelan the other day, Rob Moore's been on. Yeah, and I've had about 10 interviews already in the bag that are going to be lined up, and we've got about 20 episodes out there already and many, many more on the way. Everything from recruitment to apps to virtual assistants to creating systems and outsourcing work. Wow, that's absolutely brilliant. And anybody that who's enjoyed this interview, I invite them to just head straight on over there and check it out. Sounds great. And Steve, also, you've got a couple of giveaways that you're going to share with our audience as well, aren't you? And we, you can put those in the chat as well in on the group afterwards. So tell the ways as well. Yeah, so two things I thought would be really useful, really based on what we've been talking about today, were um, our Recruit Right framework, which is the framework we developed from hiring about 120 virtual assistants over the past three years and it's our systemized approach as i was saying before is be able to cast the net as wide as possible and then quickly filter down to to the final shortlist and then how to actually get those on board so that's a recruit right framework and the second one is really going into detail about the didact framework that i talked about before with regards to actually how you actually outsource efficiently and use task management apps so loads of detail in there for you to go and dig it dig into and get started Great. Okay, so we'll share those. So once again, Steve, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and experience about systems and outsourcing so openly. And thank you for all the value, incredible value that you've created. So look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me, Jane. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one -to, -one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.